0: the Gazette's Fact Checker podcast. Well, we've officially reached mid-February, which means that maybe there's only a month or so left of winter, knock on wood. The Iowa legislature's in full swing and there's an impeachment trial going on. But today we're going to talk about ethanol. Before we get to that, I wanted to introduce our panel. I am Erin Jordan. I'm the Gazette's investigative reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter.
1: I'm John Steppi. I'm the Gazette's business reporter.
2: I'm
3: Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette's Cedar Rapids government reporter.
0: We've got all the bases covered here. What we're going to talk about today is uh, some statements made by U.S. Senator Joni Ernst. Um, now, Senator Ernst is a member of the Senate's Committee on Agricultural Nutri- Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry. Um, and as part of that committee, she, had, um, she was questioning former Iowa Governor Tom Vilsack at a February 2nd hearing. This is on Vilsack's nomination to be USDA secretary, a position that he held during the Obama administration. So just, you know, cut to the chase, spoiler here, the committee did confirm Vilsack. Um, It was not very contentious at all, and he's likely to get approval of the full Senate. Um, But Ernst wanted to know whether Vilsack will, quote, stand firm, unquote, on the renewable fuel standard, which mandates U.S. transportation fuel contains a minimum value of biofuel, which could be corn-based ethanol or cellulosic ethanol. So, there's a concern among not just Republicans, but probably some Iowa Democrats too, um, that President Joe Biden's plan to convert the federal vehicle fleet to electric cars will leave ethanol behind. Um, Iowa's made substantial investments in this. We have like 40 some uh, ethanol refineries, I think. Um, So, Iowa doesn't want this. And that's been the renewable fuel standard's been very um, concerning it, it was very concerning during the Trump administration, just as background, because of the waivers that were given to um, different refineries to not blend in that um, ethanol. So anyway, uh, Ernst's quotes are: um, as you, this is her talking to to um, Vilsack. As you know, you know this intimately. I was a top producer of our biofuels, both ethanol and biodiesel. Ernst said. A new report released just last week found greenhouse gas emissions from corn ethanol are 46% lower than gasoline. So those are the two statements that we will be checking today. Um, so um, Ernst says in her statement, she says a new report. So it was fairly easy for, for us to write to her um, team and ask for this report. And they were very forthcoming. They sent um, a report, a 2018 report by the U.S. Energy Information Administration that said Iowa is um, a, a top producing. Well, actually, let me back up here. Um, first, we'll check the first sentence that doesn't get to this new report yet. This is looking at um, the, Iowa being a top producer of biofuels. So, in 2018, the US Energy Information Administration said Iowa is the top producing state for fuel ethanol with the capacity for up to 102 million barrels per year. I don't know about you guys, but that sounded like a lot to me. Um, the next highest state was Nebraska at more than 50 million barrels per year. So, we're about twice as high as the next highest producer for ethanol, um, which it all makes sense because Iowa is the top producing corn state in the country. The Energy Information Administration also reported that Iowa has the largest biodiesel plant capacity in the country at more than 10 million barrels per year in 2019. Um, And biodiesel is made with soybean oil, which Iowa also has a lot of as one of the nation's top producers of soybeans. I think we were like number two last year. So for the first part of the claim, Ernst gets an A, solid A. Um, In the second part of the statement, Ernst cites a new report, um, which is a manuscript that's been accepted for publication in the research journal Environmental Research Papers. The report is called Carbon Intensity of Corn Ethanol in the United States, State of the Science. Um, So these researchers, two of whom are from Harvard, another from Tufts, and a third from an environmental engineering firm in um, Massachusetts, they looked at what's called the wheel-to-well analysis for greenhouse gas emissions for corn ethanol. And wheel-to-well looks at all emissions related to fuel production, processing, distribution, and use. So not just what's happening when you're running the vehicle, and the emissions that come out there, but everything from producing the fuel, processing it, getting where it needs to be, that kind of thing. So, and the team had noted that they had updated their model to include some new changing changes in the farm industry to lower use of pesticides, or not pesticides, fertilizer and fossil fuels. Um, so, the results of their analysis um, shows that uh, the carbon intensity for corn ethanol is 51.6 grams of carbon dioxide equivalent per megajoule, which has a big, long acronym. But I, I thought I'd spell it out for you, which is 46 percent lower than the average carbon intensity of gasoline. So the biggest component of this carbon intensity is the production of the ethanol at the refinery. So how the refineries are, you know, what kind of emissions they are producing. And they note that if um, if if other things change in the industry, if there's more precision agriculture implemented, um, if there's... Uh, greater retention of organic material in the soil, you know, and and that can happen through cover crops and things like that. It could improve um, ethanol's um, emissions scores um, further. So um, we also, I, I wanted to find some other resources to see if there was anything else that kind of backed this up a little bit. So a Canadian study published in October in another journal found replacing gasoline with an ethanol blend in Canada's light-duty vehicle fleet could reduce wheel-to-well greenhouse gas gas emissions in 2030 by 7.2% for corn and wheat ethanol. Um, That is a reduction, but um, less than, you know, that um, 46% reduction. Um, And the report also noted that that 7.2% reduction is less than one-fifth of what Canada had committed to do in the Paris Climate Accord. Um, So a modest reduction. And neither report compares ethanol's carbon emissions with electric vehicles, which I don't think Ernst is obligated to do with this statement, but I do think it's part of the picture. Um, A report from the Alternative Fuels Data Center within the U.S. Department of Energy says wheel-to-well emissions for an all-electric vehicle produces about 4,000 pounds of carbon dioxide equivalent per year, compared to about 11,000 pounds for a gas-powered vehicle. This means the emissions for an electric vehicle were were about 63% less than a gas-powered one. Um, So that, you know, it it just kind of shows you that it's all on a continuum here. So I felt like, um, you know, even though Ernst didn't give that additional context of how ethanol compares with electricity, which I wanted us to do as fact checkers, I still felt like she deserved an A for both of those sentences. And I thought um, that, you know, kind of earned her an A overall. Um, before I hear what you guys want to think about that, I just um, wanted to share too. Vilsack. It was interesting to hear him kind of walk the line a little bit in this, his response to Ernst because, of course, he doesn't want to alienate farmers because he's from Iowa. He's going to be the USDA um, secretary, if confirmed. Um, so, but he also wants to stay true to Biden's agenda of, um, you know, greatly reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So um, or Vilsack said that he sees a place for ethanol in the foreseeable future. Um, especially as a greener alternative in U.S. ships and planes, which I thought was funny because if Biden's saying all the vehicles, are, all the cars are going to be electric, um, Vilsack's like, "Yeah, but what about ships and planes?" So it, I guess if he, if those, if those um, uh, modes of transport, ships and planes, could become a lot greener than gasoline, then that would be a good thing too. So anyway, let's hear what you guys have to think about, um, about this check.
1: Yeah, I was really glad that you included that context about the electric vehicles in terms of what's the wheel to well numbers for that. Um, I also agree that even though, I mean, that context wasn't part of what Ernst said, um, uh, or that she didn't include that context, I don't think that that should affect the grade. But I do think that's kind of a helpful thing to know. Um, Of course, I mean, the big motivation for ethanol being how much ethanol is produced here, as opposed to how much of the electricity that would be going into electric powered vehicles is produced here.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, John.
3: Yeah, I agree with John that, um, you know having the the information that you cite about the well to wheel analysis and um you know kind of more context about um ethanol's effect on the environment um since there are critics of ethanol like i I'm thinking back to the, the episode of the West Wing where candidates are in Iowa and they're they're like, oh no like do we endorse ethanol or or don't we like we don't love it for the environment and, and there's like bolder things we could do to help the environment but we know that ethanol is so uh, important for Iowa farmers. Um, So I don't know, that made me think of that. But yeah, I agree that it doesn't need to, um, you know, downgrade that portion of the claim. Um, But it is important context.
2: Yeah, I would agree with all that. And I wonder if it may be worth including, um, you know, I think it's probably obvious to a lot of people who read this, um, just sort of the implications for Iowa's economy if biofuels does take a greater emphasis. Um, But I do wonder if it's kind of worth noting sort of Joni Ernst's motivation in pushing this forward um, and maybe ensuring that Vilsack has that support.
0: Yeah, um, I maybe i you know i had said that they iowa has like 41 i think refineries would it be good to know some more details put some more details like that in the check like in terms of obviously that's a huge investment in infrastructure that if everything shifts to electric iowa has a lot to lose
2: I would think so. But, you know, I do, like I said, I think you do include, you know, good details like that. Um, And it's probably obvious to to people who read this. That was just the one thought I had. Um, So I'm open to to either way, kind of whatever we would decide on that.
1: I think maybe it might be worth just kind of a quick mention of that. Um, But as Michaela said, you already have a lot in terms of how much ethanol, I mean, Iowa is responsible for and how much biodiesel as well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, as a reporter in Iowa for 20 years, I, I mean, obviously I knew ethanol was very important, but just seeing those numbers, um, it, just the volume that we're producing was, was surprising to me.
1: And I believe there it was in a recent study by the Renewable Fuels Association, I believe it's about 2% of the state's GDP as well. I'd have to double check that exact number though.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. If you have that news release and want to send it to me, John, that'd be good.
1: Okay. I'll send that over.
0: Marissa, I think it's awesome that you are quoting from West Wing because that was a long time ago, but still completely relevant today.
3: I mean, I only watched it uh, two times to cope with all the events in 2020 and then uh, my, my first time was a couple years ago, so you know it, it's how I get by in these crazy times. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I I think that uh, it it is just interesting, and it will be continuing to. I, I, I just I want to see how Vilsack um, kind of threads the needle on this, how he'll how what he'll decide to do with the renewable fuel standard, and what he'll decide to say about it. As compared to what he's doing about it, maybe behind the scenes and that kind of thing.
1: It'll also be interesting to see what actions are taken by which agency, because this is something where it kind of overlaps between a couple of different, I mean, federal agencies. Where I mean, we heard a lot in terms of federal action in the previous administration from the EPA. Um, so. I mean, if the new administration wants to take some I main measures that would not necessarily be great for ethanol, there are kind of a couple of different ways that they can kind of go about doing that.
0: Right. That's a good point that, you know, obviously the um, Department of Agriculture is not operating on its own. It's got the CDC and other organizations that, um, you know, are going to be weighing in on these climate change climate these decisions that affect the climate are you guys um how do you feel about the the a overall
2: i agree with it i think um you know you laid both of them out pretty clearly and both of the the statements were pretty straightforward so i agree with the a overall yeah i
1: agree as well i think this is kind of textbook a where i mean we ask the candidate for sourcing and they give us sourcing that doesn't really have any major asterisk to it either.
0: Right.
3: Yeah. And I agree. Cause I mean, as you note, the, um, the information that Ernst sites is from a credible source and, um, you know, you, you do include the kind of caveat of like, well, you know, here's additional context, but in, um, you know, just given the the context of the statement that Ernst
0: makes, I think this grade makes sense. Okay, good. So a very clear cut check for this week. I um wanted to just uh, see if anyone else had heard of anything that we should be checking for next week just on the team before we maybe put out a plea to our, our listeners.
2: Yeah, I may have something. Um, we got an email, uh, I think it was last week, from a reader who requested that we uh, fact-check a guest column that uh, appeared in our newspaper earlier this month. Um, and this one was written by Governor Reynolds, uh, Representative Pat Grassley, and Senator Jack Whitper And it, it had to do with education funding and sort of the governor's priorities. Um, and just reading through the column quick, it looks like there's a few just kind of number statements that would be relatively easy to check. Like, uh, for example, the extended save program will provide an additional $26.2 billion in school infrastructure through 2051. Um, but there's also some other statements that that could be maybe kind of interesting or um, maybe a little bit harder to check, but, but could be uh, something worth looking into. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find the specific statement, but I remember they said something about Um, you know, raising education spending to record levels um, and maybe, you know, kind of against the downturn of the economy and the global pandemic, things like that. So I don't know if you guys have had a chance to look at that column, but I was just going to put forward that to the group to see if that's something we'd be interested in.
0: I think that sounds interesting. Um, One question I have, Michaela, do you know whether these claims are kind of like about something that hasn't happened yet? like about or um or you know like where they're predicting what the effect would be going forward. I, I I know we've done some of those in the past and they are possible to do, like especially if there's been an analysis by the legislative services agency. But sometimes they can be tricky, which is not to say we shouldn't, you know, take a look at it.
2: Yeah, no, that is a really good point. Um so it looks like there's a couple points. So like it this SAVE program um, providing an additional 26 billion, so that it was implemented two years ago, according to this column. Um, and then let's see. Yeah, it looks like there's a number of things that are currently happening. But yeah, we may have to look, you know, comb through a little bit carefully to make double check on the wording to make sure that some of these aren't just you know we promise to improve spending to record levels and things like that um but it, it looks like there are some specific stats in here that are fact checkable and that aren't like projections or anything like that that sounds, that sounds good
1: to me then
0: yeah i was just um listening in the other day waiting for another um topic to um the senate discussion about education funding and um, Senator Amy Sinclair um, stood up and I think was trying to refute uh, criticisms from Democrats about Republicans um, cutting or not cutting education funding. And so I think that I could see that being where this um, guest column came from, you know, and, and I think that uh, that makes it it's something that's being talked about. And I think it's a good thing for us to check. So, um, but so next question, Michaela, do you have time to do that?
2: Um, I can make time. <laughs> or no, I would, I love to make time for the fact checker. So of course I can do that. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, if you get bogged down, we can, uh, we can see if there's uh someone else on the team can jump in. Um, so, and just to remind our listeners that if anyone out there, as this reader reached out and suggested a guest column check to our team, anyone can write to the fact checker and let us know. If you hear a claim um, from an Iowa politician, office holder, uh, or like uh, agency director, or um, a claim that's made on an ad in Iowa, we don't have a lot of those, but I think I did he- see one the other day that was kind of related to that. Um, second congressional district race that is dragging out um, those results, I guess. Um, but if you see any of that, let us know and we'll take a look. You can email us at factchecker at thegazette.com and our team will um, will take a look. So I, I think that's all we've got for today. Um, our fact checkers are edited by Craig Jamulis. Our podcast is produced by Stephen Colbert. Our music is Lobby Time by Kevin MacLeod. So until next time, I'm Erin Jordan. I'm Michaela Ram.
1: I'm John Steppy. I'm Marissa Payne.
0: And until next time, we'll fact check you later.